This is Dr. Z, and welcome to the Natural Nurse and Dr. Z show right here on Progressive Radio Network. Really excited to talk about this on, you know, what was Indigenous People's Day. And it's interesting, we have a program where we're going to be talking about sugar. And uh, how are those two things connected? Well, you know, unfortunately, um, there's a barbaric history of sugar. White gold drove trades and goods and people fueled the wealth of European nations. And for the British, shored up the financing of their North American colonies. And, you know, it, it led to the decimation of people. And um, then, of course, we have all the modern day interesting information about sugar with our host here, health educator, Dr. Julie Gatza, who's one of the nation's top chiropractic doctors with more than 30 years of clinical practice, uh, working with many, many patients over the years. And um, she's gonna be talking about the problems with sugar and how it gets in, gets in the way of uh, the body's ability to heal itself. So I'm really excited to have uh, Dr. Julie on the program. Uh, she says, Sugar-related illnesses are skyrocketing, diabetes, heart disease, and dementia, yet Americans are shoveling in more of the sweet stuff than ever. We know it's bad, we just can't stop. Science shows how it's not simply a matter of self-control. Sugar might be as addictive as hard drugs. Can you be hooked? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, welcome to the program, Dr. Julie. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, you're very welcome. Well, you know, it says, we uh, say here in your intro here that the average American swallows 22 teaspoons of sugar every year. And, and in this really awesome article from the New York Times um, called The Barbaric History of Sugar, it's uh, $4 billion in sales. And uh, 70 pounds of sugar per person? I mean, that sounds, that sounds like they made up that number. What's your feeling about that? I mean, I, I would have to say it sounds made up to me, but when you really take a look at how much our diets have changed since uh, our, our parents were young or even we were younger, you know, the fact is we had sugar as a treat. We didn't have it every single day, and uh, if we did, we were really sneaking it. And the fact is, we had real food. We weren't eating things out of packages, boxes, and cans, and we were, you know, cooking everything. So the amount of sugar that's, you know, laced throughout our diet and our pops, and I mean, we only drank pop, you know, on a Sunday night when we were watching Walt Disney. And uh, now it's a daily occurrence and all the different, you know, coffee places that teenagers are allowed to have and even little kids eating, you know, lots of juices in their, in their lunches. And just as a normal thing, there's a lot more sugar going on than what we were raised with. Yeah. I was reading about the history. It's just, it's just fascinating uh, how Louisiana now is a big, big uh, stronghold of sugar manufacturing in the country, but it has, like I said, this whole lurid, history of enslavement of of uh i remember i was on radio in jamaica once talking about trying to get stevia now this was of course before stevia was even well known dr kamai and myself the natural nurse wrote in our book back in the 90s about that stevia would be 
you know, one of the alternative sweeteners, but at that time it was being fought down and banned even by the FDA <laughs> because of NutraSweet. <laughs> and um, it was exactly the same time that they, that that horrific aberration arose too. So here we have this dilemma. People have a sweet tooth and they want something, you know, first of all, you're, you're saying that uh, the sweet tooth is actually an addiction. So let's go back and before we get into the alternatives to sugar, let's talk about what sugar is and what it does to our bodies. I mean, you know, what sugar is, is it simply, um, it, it, it's not necessarily something that we need in mass amounts. We do need sugar for different uh, cellular functions in the body. And I'm not so crazy that I don't recognize. Yes, hello? Can you hear me? Hey, Julie, we lost you for about 30 seconds there. Do you want to repeat what you were saying? Sure. Sorry about that. I uh, was saying that, you know, white cane sugar is not necessarily what we want to give to our bodies. If we want to put fructose in, which is more um, easily chemically handled and actually needed into the system, um, you know, even natural local honey would be a better uh, sweetener. And, you know, the stevia, like you're talking about, those are all fine. But we frankly get plenty of sugar in a normal, you know, healthy diet uh, if we're just, you know, being mindful about what the heck we're eating. You know, if you take a look at um, what, what sugar will do is it will give you an instant energy and it will spike up your blood sugar. But as soon as it's spiked up 20 minutes later, it's going to go lower than what you started. So this is the reason that people need that second cup of coffee, that candy bar at lunch, the snacks in between. And, you know, what do people really need? They need protein in the morning. They need protein in the afternoon. They need protein at dinner. And then lace it all in with lots of vegetables and uh, good food. And you're going to find that you don't need to have so many snacks. You aren't so addicted to the sugar because your body's getting truly three decent meals a day that they can um, metabolize, and you won't have the highs and lows with the sugar that cause a lot of the cravings. Yeah, I mean, our body is so miraculous. It could manufacture um, natural carbohydrates and sugars from different amino acids that it makes, like glycine and things like that, if I could remember my biochemistry correctly. And then <laughs> the idea about the fruit is interesting. So my thinking of fruit is, you know, if you think of fruit, it's only available like I'm thinking of the natural world at very short periods, bursts of time in the calendar year. And I think the animals and probably ancient humans would kind of gorge themselves on what they could find, but it just wasn't around. Like you just didn't have fruit all year round, um, even in the natural world. So even that is, is can be problematic for certain people like diabetics, et cetera, et cetera, because Sometimes fructose is, while a better choice, it can be cleaved into glucose. Anyway, that was kind of like what I wanted to add to that little part there. I'm not sure what you're thinking is, but nonetheless, it's, it's probably a better alternative than the white, white sugar. <laughs> yes, I, I'm totally with you. And, you know, one of the things that people aren't aware of, and I mean, even, you know, countless amounts of, of practitioners if you do have um, what we call a, uh, a candida or a yeast overgrowth, um, which means your bacteria and the yeast are no longer in balance in your gut, 
and we have normal occurring yeast, we have normal occurring bacteria that um, reside very happily together in our digestive systems. Well, if you've been on antibiotics, which doesn't just wipe out the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, but it also will wipe out your good bacteria. When this balance is disrupted, the yeast will overgrow. Now, yeast is a little organism that needs sugar to live. So you can have, you know, a whole other colony of something living in your body that's saying, feed me, feed me sugar, feed me sugar now, um, because you have a yeast overgrowth. And it is extremely prevalent, and many people aren't aware that this is something that's going on underlying the fact that they can't get off sugar or they have no more willpower, and they feel like, wow, what happened to me? And it can be this overgrowth of yeast, which we call candida albicans. Yeah, I know that's, that whole concept is still disparaged by conventional medicine, but I know when, when I was researching a book that I wrote with, doc, with the natural nurse, we were looking at the real science behind the microbiome way before it was even a word. And we were talking about that uh, candida. Th there was a very interesting experiment that this guy did. And it was published in a very prestigious journal where he, he cultured himself. Well, let me backtrack. The idea, you know, like you said, everyone has a little bit of yeast. It's not a big problem. Um, I just you know, spoke to a doctor yesterday that was trying to push antibiotics on this patient and they were saying, well, what about yeast? And he was like, oh, that's not a problem. You're not going to get anything with that. So the point is, is this guy, Dr. Kramer, he cultured his urine, his bowels, his blood, just to make sure he didn't have any yeast. And then he drank like a mad scientist. He drank a vial of candida. And sure enough, within hours, he was able to culture it in his blood his stool and other places, uh, the bowels. And the point of that is that you don't have to be immunosuppressed HIV positive patient to have a uh, systemic candida infection. Kramer proved that, that you can be totally immuno, uh, very, uh, 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 you know, immuno strong and the candida can disseminate and can become a pathogen. I thought that was the most interesting experiment that kind of proved that um, even healthy people can have imbalances of yeast and it can become a problem. And of course, sugar, like you said, is what feeds the fermentative processes. That's right. And what a fascinating thing to hear. I've never heard that, but you know, as you know, being a natural doctor for 30 years myself, uh, I've seen so many things where you scratch your head and you start, you know, really wondering what the heck's going on. And when I really took a look, it, a lot of it really was a bit of a yeast overgrowth. And it wasn't, it's not easily measurable. You can't necessarily go and get an easy blood test or your analysis and just say, oh, great, this is it. Now you got to fix this. And the other thing is trying to handle a yeast problem. You know, let's just say a woman with a, um, a yeast infection now, that can be an ongoing problem because they're constantly at, you know, the drugstore trying to get the thing to kill it rather than getting to the actual source of it. And, uh, you know, I used to put a bubble around my practice after a while because trying to handle somebody with a yeast problem was so um, painful for them. They had to knock out every bit of sugar, every bit of fermentation, pickle juice and pickles and all these things that you know, would, would feed this. And it was anywhere from six months to two years with lots of money spent on nutrients and teas and, oh my goodness. So 
I came across something a number of years ago that is an herb that's um, native to New Zealand. And it's been around for thousands of years with the tribes in New Zealand, and it's called an horopito. And uh, this horopito bush uh, kills off yeast colonies. So you can take one pill a day and for 30 days get rid of the yeast overgrowth and put everything back into normal. And this is amazing. It works in 30 days as compared to six months to two years to treat yeast. So there's a product, they've packaged it. It's called Colorex, K-O-L-O-R-E-X. And it has saved a lot of people harassment and hassles. And there's a lot of underlying symptoms that go along with yeast that people don't recognize, you know, yeast could be the real reason that's causing these. Right. So the, the idea that sugar can suppress the immune system is always interesting. I remember reading that original paper that um, I think your publicist put together when, with the questions from the Loma Linda University where the participants were fed different forms of sugar. I think one group had like orange juice and one group had the white sugar and whether it was from beets and sugar cane. Uh, other groups had had juices of some sort. And then they looked at their white blood cells uh, under the microscope, I believe, and they found that the white blood cells were lazy. Normally, they're like wolves chasing down, you know, um, uh, some type of uh, a prey and will grab hold of the of the germ and kill it. And you actually could see this under the microscope. But these, these white blood cells were just like, oh, you know, since nice summer day, just like they, they call it lazy leukocyte syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, if you look at how you feel, you know, after a holiday and, you know, uh, I mean, we got a number of them coming up. We are not the most energetic people you've ever seen when we've been consuming way more sugar than the normal, you know, sort of day that we're, that we're living. And, I mean, how does it affect us? It's at a cellular level. Obviously, it's measured that, you know, you even have white blood cells that slow down. So then you wonder why you're tired and why you can't get out of bed and why you just feel so sluggish. And you blame it on, you know, oh, it's dreary and it's snowy or it's dark. Well, it's probably a huge amount of um, the fact the body's been shutting down because of, you know, overconsumption of sugars. Yeah, I mean, I, I worry Halloween's coming up and, and you, you won't believe how many sick children we have a couple days after Halloween. It's just uh, <laughs> this is where, you know, the idea that you earn the cold, like, the, you know, you don't get a cold, you don't catch a cold, you earn the cold came from, from the, the, the old-time chiropractors and naturopaths um, from yesteryear. They always talked about that and that, you know, you're getting an acute illness was actually a way that your body was trying to right the wrong. Uh, they called it a healing crisis. And so yeah. this is, you know, what happens when people, um, you know, poison their bodies with uh, sugar. But... You also talked about sugar and its effect on aging. So how does, how does sugar affect the aging process? Well, if you're taking a look at things at a cellular 
level. We have a system that's supposed to be extremely efficient. You're supposed to have tremendous energy, be able to sleep well, uh, not have digestive disorders, bright-looking eyes and face, and youthful look about us. And when we're eating sugar and, uh, you know, consuming way more, and we're not just talking white sugar, we're talking, you know, the pasta and the macaroni and cheese and the extreme breads and things like that, those all convert into a sugar that um, is tough on the body when you're over-consuming these things. So you start to look at how people um, look. They look puffy. They have dark circles under the eyes. Their bellies are bloated. How many older men do you see with that belly that looks, you know, like they're pregnant and they all kind of blame it and it's solid as heck and they blame it on, you know, beer. And the fact is it's a system that's bloated from the inside and the liver's overworked. So when you have all the stress on these systems, your liver, your intestine, the immune system, the adrenal glands, there is no way you're going to look that great. And, you know, I've put people on some pretty, uh, I, I wouldn't call them extreme diets. I would just say extremely healthy diets. And within two weeks, you see weight loss, inflammation gone. They look bright-eyed again. The dark circles change. The little kids are no longer so um, lethargic. And, you know, they're popping around like little kids should. And it's simply just a change of diet. And it's amazing how youthful you feel or how much uh, better you look. I mean, you've seen yourself in the mirror some mornings where you're like, wow, I look pretty good. And other ones are like, what happened? And if you really, you know, trace it back, you can see that it's pro most likely what you ate or drank in the past two days. And now it's showing up in, in how your, your skin and your tissues look. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, sugar can also age our tissues at a molecular level by becoming what they call a, a sticky substance on our proteins. Mm -hmm. So when when our which they call glycation, I mean that's kind of like um, you know even in mainstream medicine they're looking for. Glycation markers, only one, but, you know, there's many of them, but they're looking at least for the hemoglobin A1C, which is a mm -hmm. glycation marker. Maybe explain that to the, to the listeners. What's, what's glycation markers and how does that have to do with ill health? So A1C is a measurement, uh, to, as you were just mentioning. So it falls within a realm of, um, I believe it's uh, 5.5 is a normal A1C measurement, and people have A1C measured to see exactly how high their blood sugar level is on an average throughout the day or throughout the week. So you can go to the doctor and they say, oh, your A1C is, you know, looking quite normal. Fine, no diabetes in the future. Um, however, I hear a lot of diabetics, and I've treated tremendous amount of diabetics over the years successfully, um, where they're on medication and their A1C is way too high, but that's normal for now being on medication and being a diabetic. So um, we've changed that so many times by definitely um, fixing the diet, giving the nutrients what, uh, giving the nutrients to the body that they've been missing. And, uh, you know, often I'll see with the diabetics, they do have a, um, a yeast overload. They have an imbalance going on where they just cannot get the metabolism working the way that they're supposed to. So they do crave um, sugars. They've been craving it for a long time. Maybe they weren't taught good dietary habits. Maybe they've been, you know, 
buying into the media and it's okay to have, you know, fast food three to four times a week and, you know, still think you can get by and get healthy. So once you, you know, recognize what's going on and you get a willing person that says, hey, I really don't want to be on medication or I just don't want to be diabetic. It's not just a weight loss. It really is just a, a revamp of, of what's happening on, at a cellular level with the sugar handling in the body and, you know, what's going into the system every single day as far as food goes. Right. If you can't burn the sugar, then it creates a chemical, biochemical reaction in your body, which they call the, the browning effect or the amadori effect and different things that we learned about in biochemistry class. And I teach at the <laughs> naturopathic college. Um, and the sugar binds to a protein and forms like a super glue. Now, proteins right. run, you know, our amino acids, you know, or amino acids are proteins, and they run our bodies. Um, they, are, they form our collagen. They form uh, enzyme pathways. They form like a lock and a key. They are responsible for so many things, structures, um, you know, elastin and collagen make up, you know, we'd be a pile of goo if we didn't have these collagen. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, but, but when sugar grabs it, now it's interesting um, how I explain it to my patients is, I don't know if listeners out there have ever seen the body exhibit where they brought in, I think from China, bodies of cadavers and they basically had fixed their tissues with some type of vulcanizing substance and then they had like they cut them in sagittal planes uh coronal planes horizontal planes so you can actually see the inner workings of the body well i was i was fascinated by that i was like how did they how did they like fix the tissue so that the collagen didn't decay i mean you can actually see all the nerve pathways in the body and the circulation systems and they did it with a chemical which actually bound to the collagen and turned it into rubber i was like oh. saying to my wife, i was saying to my wife well that's exactly what sugar does it binds to that's your right. collagen and turns it into rubber and now yeah, you have more you know wrinkles and sagging and things like that but what's going on internally like if you have wrinkles on the outside, what do you think is going on, Dr. Julie, with your organs on the inside? Yeah, no, you're absolutely good point, and I'm glad you explained what did preserve those body exhibits because they really do look just like when we were in anatomy, and uh, it's hard to believe they stayed so nice so long. But, um, you know, the other way that I will explain what's going on is with this um, sugar handling is, if you've got a, uh, a red blood cell or hemoglobin cell, it should have um, uh, open spots uh, called receptors that allow the oxygen to bind to it. And this is how we get oxygen all the way down to our toes, to our eyes, our kidneys, our heart. And when you have a um, high A1C, you have way too much um, of the sugar circulating through the system so it starts to bind instead of those oxygens um, going on to this red blood cells, the hemoglobin. Now you've got the sugars doing that and now you have a, uh, a cell that, you know, dies sooner, it can't carry the oxygen and um, this is why you get all the symptoms that are going on with diabetes and that's why sugars are so important to measure because it basically tells you how much oxygen is getting to your tissues 
and uh, and you know how unhealthy are you? Yeah, and sugar is is one of the main things because if we can't take that sugar and bring it into our cells to burn it with insulin, and there's all kinds of uh, you know discussions we could talk about with insulin and sensitivity, then the body has no choice but to pack the sugar in different areas. It has to get rid of it. So you pee more. That's why diabetics urinate more. Um, you store it in the liver, and that's why you can get fatty liver, because sugar can be turned into triglycerides and then be turned into fats. And people get fatty liver. If it binds to the elastin and collagen in your skin, you get wrinkles, and then your heart doesn't work as well. What about as a chiropractor? It's hard to adjust people and then hold their adjustments because now they're their ligaments and tendons get very almost to the point where they're leathery and without what the Chinese would call it, you know, blood deficient. I think in Chinese medicine, they would call it like just not getting good perfusion into the ligaments and tendons. And I know that has a lot to do with holding a good adjustment. It, it absolutely does. And, you know, one of the things that I would say, makes me a very efficient um, chiropractor who can generally move just about everything that walks in is I do address the digestive system first. And when we do address that, you can move a neck easier. You can get a neck to hold. You can start moving low backs that no one could ever touch before. And um, when you, you know, balance what's going on digestively, where you handle the yeast over growth and you to give them something like the colorex and then you start fixing the diet by you know um improving what they're putting in and knocking out the sugars and you know cleaning it up and you know even adding good digestive enzymes and you start to really see a change in such a short period of time that you know all of a sudden i become you know this most amazing adjuster they've ever met and i'm like well okay <laughs> I have uh, a few tricks up my sleeve, which is let's fix your digestive system. Let's get the sugar handling, you know, much better. Let's get these nutrients into the body and um, start having to drink a heck of a lot more water, knock off your coffees, your teas, your pops, and you're going to start to see that, you know, the body really responds quickly. So, you know, I end up treating a lot of everyone else's failures, and um, it's because we address what's happening digestively first and then um chiropractic really works what is i mean let's let's go off track a little wee bit about chiropractic um what does doctors of the nervous system mean my chiropractor says that you know she just doesn't crack necks she's a doctor of the nervous system that might be really important for people to understand that don't even um go to chiropractors well the way that i explain it is one, your brain is the master communicator. So your brain sends all sorts of nervous system signals, every one of them, down the spinal cord. In between bones, you have a nerve that goes to every single area of the body. You have a, a number of them. So a chiropractor simply helps to put that spine into its best position so you have maximal room for each nerve to exit. If you have an injury, an accident from even when you were a kid or gosh, a million of them as you've been growing up, you can um, cause one of those bones to be out of position or a number of them. It will interfere with 
a nerve, and if that nerve happens to go to your shoulder, all of a sudden you have shoulder problems. If that nerve goes to your pancreas, you can start to become diabetic. If that nerve goes down to your toes, you can have numb toes. So the way that people often will treat bodies is, let's just say a car is parked on a garden hose, and everyone's looking at the garden, and they're changing out the dirt, and they're changing out plants, and they're putting different fertilizer into it. And the chiropractor across the street says, just give me the keys. And they flip them the keys. They unpark the car from the garden hose. And, oh, my goodness, there's a miracle. The garden is now perfect. So that's how I would relate bodies to that. Because if you just put the bone into its best position, we don't do anything amazing. We just put it into its normal best position. It frees up how the nervous system works. And now you have health again in that area. So that, that assumes that the body has some type of healing ability when you, when you get out of the way, when you remove these obstacles to cure. That's it. I mean, you know, it sounds so funny to say this, but I haven't fixed one thing in my 30 years. All I've done is allowed normal to reoccur and thus the body corrects itself. So, you know, there's been no amazing, you know, surgical you know, healing on this area. It simply is if you've been lacking nerve supply that came from your neck down to your hands or your wrist and you had carpal tunnel, all we did was push those bones into its normal position in the neck and no longer do you have carpal tunnel. So, I mean, we've been doing that as, you know, this profession for over a hundred years. You know, the other aspect is, you know, if you have a yeast overgrowth in your gut, that's not normal. So what do you do? Well, let's make it normal again. Let's give you something like the colorex and, you know, kill off a lot of these colonies and allow this normal situation to occur. If you're missing nutrition and, you know, you're vitamin C deficient and you brush your teeth and your gums bleed, okay, it's not a miracle to give you vitamin C because your body is missing it. So there's nothing we've actually cured. We're just making normal, <laughs> abnormal, more normal again. Very well said. Well, we're going to take a break and play one of our natural medicine chests and do some station IDs, word to the engineer there. And when we come back, we'll talk about how sugar increases the risk of depression and then weight and heart disease. And, and then also talk about maybe some alternatives that are out there and uh, how we could sort of get rid of this addiction, possibly. I have some ideas that I've helped. Uh, many patients with, and I'm sure Dr. Julie Gatza, our guest, who's co-founder of the Florida Wellness Institute, will help us. So stay with us more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. On this edition of The Natural Medicine Chest, we'll discuss Sarsaparilla, or Smilax officinalis. Sarsaparilla is a tropical plant which grows in South America, Mexico, and Guatemala. Although most Americans are familiar with it as a flavor enhancer for root beer, it has also been used for its beneficial properties for hundreds of years by many different cultures. In Roman times, the young shoots were eaten, and the mature vines were worn as garlands at festivals of Bacchus. According to ancient Roman writings, Sarsaparilla originated when the beautiful maiden, Smilax, was turned into a shrub after her love was slighted by the young crocus. 
Sar sarsaparilla was brought to Europe in the 16th century by Spanish traders. A French physician, Nicolas Monardus, published a comprehensive account of Sar sarsaparilla as a treatment for syphilis in 1574. During Portuguese military operations in 1812, a British inspector general of hospitals noted its positive effect on syphilis patients. It has also been used in China for treatment of the same condition. Sarsaparilla was included in the United States Pharmacopeia until 1950 as a recommended treatment of secondary syphilis. Sarsaparilla's medicinal action appears to be a result of binding bacterial endotoxins in the gut, thereby decreasing their absorption. This greatly reduces the stress on the liver and is likely responsible for its historic use as a tonic and blood purifier. In a controlled study of 92 patients published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1942, a chemically active component of sarsaparilla called sarsaparin greatly improved psoriasis in 62% of the patients and resulted in complete clearance in 18%. Sarsaparilla is often recommended by naturopathic physicians for gout, arthritis, and psoriasis. Another folkloric use for sarsaparilla is as a tonic for male sexual potency. So, if you want a root beard flavored tea with a long history as a healthy tonic, reach for the sarsaparilla in your natural medicine chest. Health, wellness, and alternative medicine today, and we're really excited to have Dr. Julie Gatza on, um, co-founder of Florida Wellness Institute, and um, we talked a lot about chiropractic and good, good analogies, Dr. Julie. I love that. Um, let's talk more about sugar and the problems. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks. Great. So now, sugar can be linked to depression, and we have a a lot of depression in young people, and you know they uh, blame you know, the media for depression and they blame, you know, um, many things for it. Like it's a lack of neurotransmitters and there's many theories about the cause of depression. But one of the mainstays is really, I think, the link of diets high in sugar and depression. What have you seen in your research on that? I've seen that, I mean, over 80% of the time. And you know, let's just take a let's take a kid that's um, got some busy folks at home and uh, maybe don't have you know the understanding that they got to feed them a really good source of protein in the morning. So this child wakes up, it's five years, six years old. They get a bowl of cereal, a piece of toast, and uh, maybe some orange juice, and they're off to school. And they aren't getting well along with others. They're sleepy. They're um, uh, unruly, they're too tired, and you start, you know, put five more years on that child with that type of morning diet, probably some other things going on in the afternoon as well, and, and dinner, and uh, you start to um, make a person that no longer has a storage of nutrition. Uh, so it's like a bank vault. As you're a child and you're fed well and you're, you know, given a lot of protein and vegetables and fed three meals a day, you start to store up all this um, reserves. 
Well, if you never get the reserves and you're also not getting the good food, there is no way for you to actually perform properly. So not only is it going to affect your energy and how you're thinking and how you can, you know, logically, you know, understand different things, you're not necessarily going to be there all the time. So those have its repercussions. You're missing things in school. You're not getting as great of grades. You're too tired. You can't engage. Uh, your body isn't firing and making all the energy that it should and thus, quote-unquote, depression. So what I've seen is you fix somebody's diet. I mean, really fix it, where you take a look and you say, all right, I don't care what you've heard, what everyone else does, whatever they put in their lunchbox for their kids. The fact is you need a certain type of food every meal. You need heavy protein. You need great vegetables. And anything after that is just a bonus, but that's where it starts. I'm a huge fan of eggs. Um, in any form you want to eat them. And uh, the fact is they're a perfect protein. They get assimilated fast. Everybody likes, you know, bodies um, generally do quite well by eating eggs. So I'm a heavy protein person. And, you know, our American diet, um, short of eggs, you know, it's always a big carbohydrate fast from pancakes and waffles and toast and bagels and croissants and, I mean, cereal that is not food that the body needs first. That's sort of a deluxe luxury that you should have after you've eaten protein and, and vegetables. Yeah, well, that's an interesting theory. There's, you know, other folks that feel that diabetes is really a lack of fiber in the diet. You know, there's the whole fiber um, camp that thinks that if we just really increased our fiber and, you know, they've done studies where they've given very viscous fiber, like the PGX fiber, which is from the glucoman, and, and watched um, how it slowed down the absorptive curve of sugar, um, you know, because I guess what you're, you know, if you're taking the refined sugar, the absorption's quick, like up like a roller coaster, but then you go down like a roller coaster, um, with the blood sugar, but if you if you put in you know 40, 50 grams of fiber into that equation, now the body can't really absorb that sugar very very quickly. It blunts that glycemic curve. So there's one there's a protein camp, and then there's the fiber camp. But I know I just wanted to throw that in there just to, so that we can talk about all angles I'm, of the coin. Yes. I'm with you, either one, uh, but I, I have seen, I mean, you know, I, I can only watch blood sugar, you know, change, you know, and it's an easy, nice way to measure how well somebody's doing in, in my practice. And, uh, you know, people often will think that fiber means um, the wheat, the corn items, and, and the grains, and quite frankly, the best source of fiber is your vegetables. So, you know, if you increase your vegetables and... I'm not a huge fan of salads if people are not doing well health-wise. Um, salads are hard to break down. They um, take a little bit more effort in digestively. So I'm a big fan of steamed green vegetables, not killing them steamed green, but just enough to break down the cell wall so that they're more available digestively to a person. And, I mean, I've been doing the same protocol for 30 years with my patients, and I mm. keep seeing the same results, which is, sugars start to change, the A1C changes, their energy improves, their weight is lost, their energy, you know, goes off the roof, they can sleep. 
And it's simply, if it doesn't um, work, I would we've thrown it out. If it works, we just kept it. And, you know, I do sometimes sound like a broken record to myself when I <laughs> listen to myself talk, but it's not brand new data to them. I mean, it's, you know, it's not old information to, you know, my patients that are coming in. It's brand new. So, you know, I continue to say the same darn things because they keep continually working. Right. Yeah. And also there's, uh, besides the sugar, there's also been this interesting agricultural phenomenon where we're finding um, low levels of micronutrients in our soil. And one of the two big micronutrients that I'm sure we learned about in school, you chiropractic school, me, me naturopathic medical college, uh, was chromium and vanadium, two very important minerals that help our body handle sugar. So if we don't have the chromium and vanadium in our bodies, we can't even handle the sugar. And talk about an epidemic. I mean, sugar is an epidemic too, but I, I do a lot of nutritional testing on patients. And I have very rarely and also practicing over 30 years like yourself, found a person with normal chromium levels. It is just <laughs> so low. And, and I remember reading this article that was put out by the U.S. Department of Agriculture in 1939 or 1937. I can't remember exactly the date, but they were already predicting that there's no chromium in the soil, and this would lead mm -hmm. to catastrophes in the future if we didn't fix this problem. Because if we're getting our nutrients, Dr. Julie, from our food, which of course would be the most optimal way, we want our food to make sure it has the nutrients. But first of all, if we're eating junk food, that's a problem. But even if we're eating good, healthy vegetables, they've done studies to show that, that commercial ways of farming don't really even um, replete the soil with the micronutrients, and that, of course, leads to diabetes and other issues where we can't even handle the sugar. So you see, it's like a double-edged sword. You know, you have the candida thing going on in your gut, the, the, the chromium, vanadium deficiency, people craving the sugar. It's just a real disaster, I can tell you that. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you 100% more, and, you know, I've taken it to the point of you know, a couple of points. I um, treat a lot of European patients over the years, and these Europeans come slim and beautiful and slender, and they lots of energy, and they reside here for two to three years, and they start to look like Americans. And they have muffin tops. They have dark circles under their eyes. They're a little fatter than they showed up with. And, you know, I, I can only um, relate it to the source of the food that that we offer compared to what a lot of their countries won't allow happening um, in their soil. And, you know, if you take a look at um, a group of people in the 50s, 60s, and 70s on the beach, I just saw this picture the other day, and it was just a totally crowded beach, and I zoomed in on my um, phone, and I looked at everybody. There wasn't an overweight person on the beach. They were all slim. They all looked amazing. And they were not exercising like we do now. And they weren't that aware. They were just living their life. So the food source back then wasn't so altered. It wasn't so, 
you know, messed up. I've, I had a practice in Chicago suburbs way west, and I treated a lot of farmers and, you know, started asking, what are they putting in the soil? What's going on? And it is nothing like it used to be as far as farming goes um, years ago. It's, it's a completely different, you know, thing. I mean, just bite into an apple. How many apples do you think taste amazing? And the reason that apples don't taste amazing anymore is the minerals in the soil aren't being uh, replenished. And, you know, the thing that gives anything taste is what's in the soil. So these apples look more beautiful than ever, and they don't have brown spots and wormholes and discoloration. But, you know, when we used to pick apples, I'd sneak in the garage with my girlfriend and eat eight of them at a time. What kid in their right mind right now would eat eight apples one after another? They don't taste that great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I know. I just picked some figs from my tree. I can't wait to eat those, you know, because I put a lot of stuff into the soil, so I'm sure they're really good. Right. I'm sure, too. <laughs> I'm India. Yeah. We had a, such a warm, we're having such a warm spell back east that, you know, a lot of times we get a frost and I would lose the whole fig crop, but we're having a beautiful weather here back east. So, um, now... You mentioned the weight expanding waistlines and and obesity. That's a big problem that you've seen um, Americans. But what about heart disease? That's also a, a huge killer, and that's tied into sugar. People don't realize that sugar and heart disease go hand in hand. But I know you made some type of connection in some of the notes you sent me before the show. Well, how does how does sugar increase your risk of heart disease? I mean, any time that you're putting something that's not naturally occurring, like, let's say, sugar, you know, white cane sugar, sugars from all different types of food sources that we've got at this point, not necessarily fruit, fructose. But when you put that in, it does alter how you work chemically. And uh, if that's happening, you've got a, um, a sugar-driven metabolism rather than a, um, a, a metabolism that's supposed to work the correct way. So there is a um, metabolism called Krebs cycle, and at Krebs cycle, um, at a cellular level, you make all sorts of energy the way you're supposed to. It's called ATP, which is energy, and it is at a cellular level, trillions of times a day, you're making tremendous amounts of ATP. When you've altered your diet um, by consuming a lot of carbohydrates and sugars and um, junk food, what happens is that cycle no longer works efficiently. So it goes into a sugar-driven metabolism, and now you need 19 times more sugar to create the same amount of energy if your Krebs cycle was working the way that it was supposed to when you were born. So you have to then consume more sugar to get it back to normal, and it becomes this sort of you know wicked cycle that, of course, you're going to have elevated um, sugar in your blood. Of course, you're going to slow down your body and put weight on and have, you know, uh, puffiness in the system because you don't have a, a, a system working at a cellular level the way you're supposed to. So looking at that, you asked about the heart. The heart is nothing more than a muscle. And, of course, yes, it's a very important muscle, but it reacts the same way that a bicep would. And if your bicep is not properly working because you aren't getting the nutrition into the system the way you're supposed to. The heart will no longer beat properly the way it's supposed to. Um, It's just an important muscle that pumps blood through the system. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Plus, plus I've read that um, 
the that protein, uh, the protein that lines our arteries in the what they call the intima, that gets hammered by um, LDLs, oxidative LDLs, right? So right. Ox, ox LDL is a really interesting new marker that people are measuring, but. One of the big things that sugar does is it acts like a free radical. People don't realize that that sugar actually causes more free radical damage, and that's like oxygen gone crazy damage, than even breathing in paint fumes, which causes free radical damage, like exogenous free radical damage. Sugar can cause internal free radical damage through what they call these advanced glycosylated end products or ages. It's the ages that age you is an old saying, <laughs> probably not too old, but um, so, and that maybe is why sugar can cause cancer in a indirect way. It's not directly causing cancer, but by, by generating these free radicals, you damage DNA, you damage the Krebs cycle, you damage the mitochondria, you damage so many things and now you have cancer. Well, we've painted a bleak picture. So in the next eight minutes or so before we sign off, what do, what can we do to help people get rid of sugar with the holidays coming up? Like you mentioned, you know, people will be baking, kids will be trick-or-treating and there's Christmas and New Year's and all the holiday fans. And we tend to go overboard with sugar. Uh, what do we do? Like, I'll give you a good example. Just my, I recently celebrated my birthday and, uh, one of my Happy patients birthday. brought some cupcakes, you know, they were healthy cupcakes, but they still had a lot of sugar. I couldn't even eat it. I tasted it. I'm like, whoa. So if you don't eat sugar for a very long time, your, your taste buds change. And I, I do, I use bitters and all kinds of things that, you know, I grew up with being Italian. And if you, in, in Ayurveda, the number one thing you can do to stop the sweet taste is to start using bitters in your diet. And that's that, I wanted to throw that out as my suggestions to everyone to balance out their sweet tooth for the holidays. What about you, Dr. Julie? Any good advice for the listeners wow. out there? That's a wonderful idea. Um, I, I'll definitely start employing that. That's it's great and so simple. You can just put that into your water. And, like broccoli uh, rob. Start water. eating like broccoli rob and chicken or tofu if you're vegetarian or whatever. The, these bitter liver-enhancing vegetables, you know, asparagus has a little bit of a bitterness to it. Just start incorporating more bitter foods into the diet and it will destroy the sweet taste. There's also a great herb that I don't know if you know about, uh, it's called gumar, which is gymnema is the Latin and it, it translates as the sugar destroyer. So if, oh, people, nice. if people put some of that on their tongue, they won't, they can't even taste sugar for two hours after you consume this herb. Talk about blocking the sweet taste. <laughs> no kidding. That's, that's brilliant, actually. I like that. Well, that's a simple solution as far as that goes. You know, mine is if you are addicted and you're, you're trying to get off the sugars and you do know that the holidays are coming up, 
I mean, one, you just have to take a good look at what are you eating? You know, what are you having for breakfast? Are you skipping it? Are you having coffee, teas, and pops instead of actually having, you know, real food? And first and foremost, with every patient in my office, whether they're vegan or, you know, not, um, it's, it's heavy protein. Heavy protein at every meal, lots of steamed green vegetables, um, a real serious diet with water. Uh, people are dehydrated, and when you're dehydrated, you want to um, feel something, and you don't even know you're dehydrated until thirst is like one of the last symptoms of dehydration. So a lot of people are eating and consuming, you know, different types of things to try to satisfy what's missing, and really a lot of it is just simply water. I do have my patients, um, you know, at holidays and after holidays and if they've been on antibiotics or they've had a, you know, a stint of bad eating, I do have them go on that Colorex, that Horopito herb from New Zealand. And, you know, taking one Colorex a day, it does cause a bit of that yeast die off. And, um, you know, the first three days when they take it, they can get a little, you know, fatigued, a little headachey because the yeast um, colonies are getting, you know, sort of wiped out. And uh, if they continue on that for 30 days, their sugar cravings really change. So then any smart thing that you're doing um, dietary-wise, you're not trying to do it with roller skates going uphill once you've handled the little yeast screaming for sugar all the time in your digestive system. So, you know, heavy protein, vegetables, take the Colorex once a day, and lots of water, and, you know, give yourself a, a, you know, a day to cheat. All right, if you want to eat your kid's Halloween candy, eat it. Eat it one day, and then get the heck out of the house. If, you know, all this holidays are coming up, well, you know, maybe it's just once a week. And if, you know, you do have desserts and things and cookies, why don't you just freeze them? And, you know, they're great if you want to have them a bit later and, but, you know, to consume all this stuff at the office and the donuts and the this and the, the treats and those Christmas cookies and all the things every single day, it's just too hard on our systems. And, you know, a lot of times we're reaching for those things because we aren't um, eating enough breakfast because we are, you know, sugar-driven metabolism because we haven't been smart to just sort of take a look and say, all right, you know, it's like a two-year-old that's sick that's been dropped off at your house and they, somebody says, you got to fix them. Well, what do you give them? You give them protein, you give them vegetables, you give them lots of water, and uh, you don't, you know, give them sugars and, and weird things to drink. It, it, and you can fix that two-year-old in no time, so treat your body the same way. Yeah, I mean, I just, interesting, I just had a case of a, a young teenage woman with, with acne, really bad acne, and, you know, they wanted to give her antibiotics and tetracyclines, you know, the dermatologist, the way they treated. But I, when I ran some, first of all, my teacher, Dr. Michael Murray, used to always say in class, acne is diabetes of the skin, which means yeah. that if you eat a lot of sugar, that can create like, uh, you know, extra food for the bacteria living in your skin, which then, of course, you know, you know, are, are involved at least in the comb dome or acne, rose, uh, sorry, acne vulgaris um, pathogenesis. Right. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, we gave her, you know, zinc and chromium because she was low in those things. And, you know, we just made sure she was her hormones were balanced because it turns out that sugar can affect the hormones too. We didn't even talk about that, but unfortunately run that. Yeah, true. That's <laughs> the hormones and, and believe it or not, I mean, it took, took a couple months, 
but no tetracycline, no surgery, no, you know, whatever. Beautiful skin. Right. I mean, beautiful skin. Brought the system back into balance because, again, um, but we also took her off of dairy because it turns out that the dairy is loaded with hormones in today's society. I mean, if you think about it, cow, just milk itself is high in hormones, even if it's organic because it's from a pregnant cow. So there's right. going to be more hormones. And the least thing a teenage girl needs is more hormones. So, um, <laughs> and then we're going to ch check her for, you know, diabetes. She does have diabetes in the family, but, you know, we're finding diabetes at such early ages, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, because you mentioned clear skin that you see on healthy diets and things like that. But unfortunately, we're running out of time. We only have about two minutes left. So why don't you leave the listeners with some information if you want to, if people could want them to contact you anyway, or if you're doing any engagements, feel free to share. Sure. Well, I mentioned that Colorex, which is that yeast, you know, controller in the digestive system and keeps away the cravings for the sugars and really rebalances things if you're trying to get your body back up to normal. Um, you can go to a website, which is naturesources.com, and you can read all about the Colorex and uh, the different forms it comes in and different things that it can handle. Um, you can also uh, call a 1-800 number, and um, they will give you 20% off your first order if you um, use the code RADIO. And that phone number is 1-800-827-7656. And I always recommend somebody get the Colorex. I always say get two because if, you know, you've got... Somebody yeah, in well, unfortunately, we're on non-commercial radio, so we can't be, um, you know, plugging the products there. But anyway, we're glad that you gave out the information. People can take it from there. Uh, we thank you so much for being a part of our program here and sharing this great information. So uh, stay healthy. Uh, thank you, thanks Doc. again for joining us. Yeah. Appreciate it. Nice talking with you. Okay. And that does it for another edition of The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. Um, we want you to stay healthy, folks. Bye-bye. Take care. 